Coming up on this episode of Crime Family. The disappearance of Theo Hayes, an 18-year-old man from Belgium who went missing without a trace while backpacking in Australia back in 2019. After standing outside the bar for a bit, Theo can be seen walking away, and this CCTV footage is the last known sighting of him. Like, I just don't know why he would climb up an embankment in the middle of the night and dark. The only reason why I could think of that is he was trying to get away from somebody and trying to climb up to get like away from something, but I don't know, that seems really odd to me. I don't know. To me, it feels like he definitely maybe was with someone and there was a party at the beach or he was meeting someone to get something. But it is hard to say whether that person killed him or whether an accident happened and he did fall into the water. But if it was an accident, why wouldn't anyone report it? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Crime Family. Before we start today's episode, we just want to let you know about our patron community. If you like the show and you want exclusive extras like ad-free content, bonus episodes, a private community to connect with us, free merch, and an exclusive new true crime series, Doc Talk, consider becoming a patron. Doc Talk is like a book club for true crime documentaries. Each month, we'll select a new doc to watch and discuss it in full. We'll take your questions and discuss the topics you want. You have access to this exclusive new series at a Tier 3 membership, as well as all the other extras I mentioned. Join us on Patreon to continue the true crime conversation and build a community. We'd love to have you. By signing up today, you'll also get automatic access to our bonus episodes, including one about Sarah Boone, known as the Suitcase Killer, one about the updates in the Adnan Syed case, and a Halloween one. So check out the show notes for the link to become a patron today or go to patreon.com slash crimefamilypodcast. Also, we've recently launched our exclusive merch store on Redbubble. We're so excited to have the official Crime Family logo and designs on everything from t-shirts to stickers to mugs and hats. Check out our merch store to help support the show at the link in the show notes. So on this week's episode, I'm going to be telling you about the disappearance of Theo Hayes, an 18-year-old man from Belgium who went missing without a trace while backpacking in Australia back in 2019. There are a number of theories out there about what could have happened, but very little has been confirmed in this case. This is the story about a young man traveling solo in an unknown land whose family is now seeking answers to find out what really happened the night he disappeared. Theo Hayes was an 18-year-old from Brussels, Belgium, who left his home in late 2018 for a months-long backpacking trip to Australia. Theo was described as, quote, a clever, gentle, and thoughtful young man with a bright future, end quote and had spent the months leading up to his disappearance solo traveling all around the continent of Australia. 
His trip was sort of open-ended, so he left home, but he didn't really have any real return date scheduled. So he just planned to stay as long as he desired, just so he could find adventure in a country that was so different from his own. However, even though he didn't have a return date planned, he did always promise his family that he would eventually come home, even if he didn't know exactly when. He also promised his mother that although he was going to find adventure and he was an adventurous person, he would be careful and take calculated risks so he wouldn't do anything too wild, like jumping off of cliffs or anything like that. And for a boy who loved nature, the backpacking trip to Australia was everything he could have wanted. He started out in Victoria with his godfather, John Philippe Pector. He goes by JP, so I'll just call him JP for the remainder of the episode. So he he spent the first few few weeks of his trip in Victoria with JP, who was his godfather, and JP's wife, Julia Malcolm. So Theo spent the following months after this traveling all around the continent, which based on a video diary of his, he absolutely loved. He was, you know, in the video, he was describing the beauty of Australia and all of the things that he had done and just seemed to be really in love with, with his trip and with the culture of Australia. So as it turns out, his trip was finally coming to an end and he finally planned to leave Australia and return home in early June of 2019. So that would have put his trip at about, you know, six, six or seven months, um, which is quite a long time to be backpacking by yourself. And so the first week of June is when he was going to go home, but that was going to be after a few days in Byron Bay. And Byron Bay is just a beachside town located on the eastern tip of Australia. So Theo arrived in Byron Bay on May 29th, 2019, and stayed at the Wake Up Hostel during his time there. Five days after his arrival in Byron Bay, Theo's mother, Vincienne, contacted Theo's godfather, JP, in Victoria, asking him if he had heard from Theo because she had not really heard anything since Theo arrived in Byron Bay. So she thought maybe he, you know, just didn't have a lot of internet connection or phone service or something. But JP knew that something wasn't quite right when he then discovered that Theo never checked out of the Wake Up Hostel and that he missed a bus that he had booked to Sydney. So I guess the plan was that he was going to take this bus to Sydney and then fly home from Sydney. But even though he had bought a ticket for this bus trip, he never ended up boarding the bus. Upon a search of his room at the hostel, all of his personal belongings were there, including his passport. And so immediately, a search begins to determine the whereabouts of Theo Hayes after his godfather reports him missing to Australian police on June 6th. And then soon into the investigation, it's discovered that the final sighting of Theo was actually a week earlier, outside of a bar around 11pm on the night of May 31st, which would have been just two days after he arrived in Byron Bay. So May 31st was a Friday night. And Theo was out with just some other backpackers that he met at the hostel at a bar called Cheeky Monkeys. He arrived at the bar at 9.35pm, and CCTV footage from inside shows him laughing, dancing, having just having fun. And then just after 11pm, he's asked to leave by the bouncers due to him being, quote, approaching intoxication, end quote. Theo had only had two beers at the bar and wasn't even drinking in the last hour that he was inside. And the CCTV footage that is shown in an episode of 60 Minutes Australia shows no signs of intoxication outside of the bar really at all. I mean, he's walking normally, and just by looking at that footage, he doesn't really appear drunk. Like, the typical image of someone who's, you know, falling around or stumbling or something, he's not doing that. He's walking normally. Um, There's no audio, so it's just a video. Although I guess some people can hide their, their level of intoxication better. You know, some people can seem somewhat sober, even though they've had quite a bit to drink. So I guess we can't really go just on that CCTV footage. So even though he looks normal in the CCTV footage, he was still asked to leave by the bouncers because he was becoming inebriated. And reports also say that he was banned from all other bars in the area that night, which seems drastic. 
And it's also weird, like, it's just something I was thinking, like, it's really weird for the bouncers to say he was approach, approaching intoxication, which is why they kicked him out. Like, isn't everyone in the bar approaching intoxication? Like, that's a really weird observation or comment. So I just find it weird that they would single him out and kick him out of the bar because he was approaching intoxication when you could probably make that case for literally everyone inside. And for whatever reason, I mean, he was being banned from all of the other bars on that strip that night. So for whatever reason, maybe he's way drunker than he's appearing in this footage. And after standing outside the bar for a bit, Theo can be seen walking away. And this CCTV footage is the last known sighting of him. So once he leaves the view of this camera, there's no other sighting of him on any other cameras. However, his trail doesn't go completely cold after he leaves the view of the camera because the GPS tracker on his phone is actually showing his entire journey after leaving the bar that night. And it was actually Theo's mother who initially got access to his Google account. She remembered his passwords and was able to get in. And she unlocked all of the GPS tracking information that is used in the investigation. And by the time she unlocked his passwords and his accounts, it was already June 16th, which was 10 days after he was reported missing and 17 days since he was last seen. The reason that Theo's mother was the one who initially gained access to his phone was because the Australian authorities were unable to get this information due to intense privacy laws that prevented them from gaining a timely warrant to help the, with the investigation. But Belgian laws allow for access to social media accounts almost immediately, which is much different than in Australia. And this allowed the Belgian authorities to move much quicker than Australian authorities ever could in the case. And because his mother was back in Belgium um, and she was able to just get into his phone just because she knew his passwords. Um, so she was the one who pretty much unlocked sort of the biggest pieces of evidence in this case, which is this GPS tracking data. So 60 Minutes Australia outlines a detailed timeline of Theo's movements based on the GPS data found on his phone. And this trail proves to be pretty puzzling. Once GPS tracking is turned on, Theo can be seen, he's walking in the opposite direction of the hostel after leaving the bar and that CCTV footage. And just six minutes after that, he opens Google Maps and searches for directions to his hostel. And he opens the map a total of eight times after that. So, you know, he's, he's checking the maps in and out, just making sure he's going in the right direction. So you might just think that, you know, he's maybe confused and he walked in the wrong direction and got lost because... He is walking in the opposite direction in that CCTV footage. He sh the easiest route is to go, go head the other way, which would have made it much quicker for him to get back to his hostel. But police detectives and Theo's godfather, JP, they believe that Theo knew exactly the direction he was walking in because they speculate that he took an alternate route to get back to the hostel. And this alternate route would take him down to the beaches of Byron Bay and then back to his hostel, like along the beach. So it's a much more scenic route so it is possible that he wanted to just walk along the beach to go back to his hostel and was walking in that direction. So they think that he wasn't necessarily lost, but that he knew exactly where he was going. And based on, you know, Google Maps, um, maybe it showed that route or some part of that route. So he's walking that way. One notable stop that Theo makes along the way is at the Cricket Nets. And this is supposedly in a sketchy part of town, which is close to some homeless tent cities. And... I mean, they call it the Cricket Nets in the 60 Minutes Australia and like the dramatization, it shows like, it looks like kind of like a soccer field or of some sort. So maybe it is like actually, it is literally Cricket Nets for the game Cricket, but it's kind of known like in Byron Bay, it's kind of just known as like kind of a sketchy area. 
GPS data shows that Theo stops at the cricket nets for almost seven minutes before continuing on his way. So before that, the GPS from his phone is actually able to show like so much detail in terms of like the pace that he's walking. So it even shows that like he's walking at a, at a constant pace. He's not stopping a lot. And the cricket nets is the first time along his route that he actually stops for a significant amount of time. And it shows also too the GPS tracking that he's walking in more or less a straight line, which isn't really the actions of someone who's wandering as if they're lost. It doesn't seem like he's meandering. He seems like he's walking in a direct route, like he knows where he's going. So it would make sense if he is following you know, Google Maps route. Investigators believe that Theo was stopped and talked to some people at the Cricket Nets. And that would be the only reason that he would make a stop there for that amount of time. Because the phone data shows that he didn't use his phone at all during the seven minute period. So he wouldn't just be standing there staring, you know, into the sky or something, right? I mean, like he could be, I guess, but that isn't really a theory that is widely believed. Like people... The speculation is that he kind of met a group of people there or was talking to a group of people there because that would make sense as to why he was there for seven minutes. Some speculation was that he met a group of people there, started talking to them. Maybe he bought drugs or alcohol off of them or something. Um, But there's nothing really to support this theory other than just mere speculation. And a map of the area shows that the beaches were pretty much a straight shot from the cricket nets. So he would have just had to continuing walking for, you know, a few more minutes in this route that in this direction that he was walking. But after his seven minute stop at the nets, he inexplicably starts going in a different direction, which investigators believe is because he met someone there at the nets who convinced him to wander off his planned route. So JP says that after his the stop at the cricket nets, they notice that his pace picks up just a little bit. Not a running pace so he's not like running but just walking maybe a little faster than he was before at a more consistently quicker pace and this quick pace is the pace that he's walking at when he veers off in the opposite direction from his hostel towards tallow beach and tallow beach puts theo about five kilometers from his hostel so that would be putting him further away from it so it is a little bit odd i mean when they show the map in the 60 minutes australia episode and you can see like the beach that they kind of speculate he might have been walking to in order to head back to his hostel was a straight line from there so it is weird that all of a sudden he would turn and go in the opposite direction what do you guys think of like that sort of theory like do you think like do you agree that maybe he did meet up with a group of people and was talking to them or do you think like how do you would you kind of explain that seven minute interval So for me thinking about it, I don't think it's too far off to think that maybe, maybe he was a little bit lost. Like I'm thinking of even myself on a good day, completely sober, trying to find my way around a city. I'm like back and forth on the same street multiple times, looking at Google Maps, you know, circling around, even though I've been there before, like I just can't find my way around. That's just me personally. I'm just really bad with directions. So I would feel like if he is just wandering because he doesn't he's not sure where he's going that seems logical and yeah he could have stopped someone could have approached him especially in that sketchy area you know maybe asking him for money or asking him for directions or something so him stopping and talking to somebody even just like completely innocently isn't totally crazy Right. I can think of like times myself when people have like stopped me asking me for money just walking down the street in broad daylight so it doesn't seem like anything sketchy is happening here at all. I have to agree with Katie. Like, I don't think, yeah, I don't think anything sketchy is going on. 
I think because it was dark out and he might not have known like exactly where he was. He just got turned around and maybe went the wrong way. And yeah, like I don't think, I don't, yeah, I don't think he was in any danger. I think he was just lost. And maybe he was, had a little bit too much to drink, not a lot, but maybe he just got disoriented and couldn't find his way around. So I don't, yeah, I don't think there's anything suspicious going on at all. I like, I just think though, like he was walking in the right direction the whole time. So it's weird that he would suddenly veer off in an opposite direction. Like all he had to do was keep walking straight. And if he were to look on the Google maps, like he would see that. So it's weird that like he would then go off in a completely different direction. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, to me, that was kind of weird because it was so far off of the way that he was walking the whole entire time leading up to this. Yeah, I guess it does make sense if he all he had to do was go straight and the map showed that, but then he doesn't do that. There has to be a reason, I guess. Yeah, like I guess it's hard if you're not like seeing the map, but they show the map on um on the 60 minutes Australia episode like they they you know, put an X to where the cricket nets are is where he would be. And then if you look on the map, it's literally just like a straight line a little bit either north or south, I don't know the direction of the map, but pretty much a straight line either south or north. Um but he starts heading like east after that but do they know that's what the map was showing him was to go straight because i mean i've had google maps and they take me on this like back road meandering to get somewhere where i could have just taken the straight shot on the highway so like do we know what the map was showing him or we just know that that was the logical route i guess they just are saying that that's the logical route like that would be the logical route. I mean, I do agree that, yeah, Google Maps does take you on these sort of, like, weird roundabout routes. So maybe for whatever reason, maybe there was, like, construction or something or on one street that, like, Google Maps just, like, went off and showed him to go. But, I mean, I'll go a little bit into it a little bit further, but, like, it's weird. Like, where he eventually ends up is way far off from where the hostel would be. So it's not like I can't see a way in which Google Maps would be directing him that way, especially the way he went. Also, it it could be possible, because I've done this before, where you put in a destination that isn't actually where you want to go, but you just kind of know that where you want to go is in that vicinity. You know, like if you're thinking of a street or maybe like a restaurant or a bar, but you don't remember the name, but you're like, oh, it's by this place. So you put that in instead. And so you go in that direction, but that's not actually where you're intending to go. Like that could have been what happened as well. Like the hostel was close to another bar that he wanted to go to. So he put the hostel in instead Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he put the hostel in in Google Maps. He put the hostel, so he was trying to find his way to Yeah, but like what I'm saying is maybe there was like a, a bar close to the hostel that he wanted to go to, but didn't know the name of the bar. So he put the hostel in so he could get in the, in the right direction to the bar that he was actually trying to get to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But then he still goes off in a way opposite direction from even that, which is weird. Okay, yeah, I guess it is weird. (laughs) (laughs) So, and something else that is kind of strange too is that he doesn't ever put Tallow Beach into Google Maps. And Tallow Beach is eventually like where he ends up going. And it's like kind of this convoluted route, but he doesn't put Tallow Beach into Google Maps. And yet he takes a very different path than one would normally take to get to Tallow Beach. So, in other words, it's not a way that you would be walking there unless you are a local and know that route because it includes suburban roads and an inconspicuous access trail that's like hidden between houses without any clear signage. So, it's kind of like a secret entrance. It's not even the main entrance to Tallow Beach. It's like this weird kind of 
secret alternate trail that le also leads you there, but it's not really clearly marked with many signs. Um, it's near kind of a national park, but like not directly. And it's also at nighttime. So it's kind of extremely unlikely that a lone tourist like is just going to walk along this route at night or much less even find it. And so this, I think, is the basis for the theory that Theo was with at least one other person at this time, most likely a local who knows this route. Because the speed at which he's walking it's not really feasible for someone who's alone and doesn't know the area. Like he's walking in this dark trail with thick brush and it's just not a main route that you would ever kind of just come across. This specific route that he takes to Tello Beach is so obscure that doesn't even show up on Google Maps at all if you were to search for it. So it's just a little bit odd. And it was actually search volunteers who, you know, shortly into the investigation actually found Theo's ball cap on the ground along this route during their own search of the area. So, and that was the only thing of his that was ever sort of found or recovered was this like ball cap that was like along this sort of trail in, I don't really want to say the woods, but like kind of a wooded area of some sort. Also based on the GPS data. So they also, you know, throughout this 60 Minutes Australia, they are talking to his family, um, interviewing, you know, his godfather and his godfather's wife and his mother and everything and they don't really believe that he was you know severely under the influence of drugs or alcohol at this time you know other than the maybe the two drinks that he had a few hours earlier but they don't think that he was severely intoxicated because the route that he's taking along this unmarked path was very precise and constant he's keeping up a, a constant pace so it's not like he's you know stopping you know to get sick or he's like confused and getting his bearings um so it wasn't like he was meandering at all it's like he was walking as if he knew exactly where he was going which indicates that he may have been following someone who was leading him there um, or at least that's kind of the theory it kind of makes me think now that yeah when he stopped at those cricket nets or whatever like someone approached him or he approached somebody maybe asking to buy drugs or if somebody came up to him at like do you want to buy some drugs and then now now he's following this person to get that that's kind of what it seems like yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of is, you know, investigators were thinking or police were thinking because it is a very obscure path and one that you're not, I don't think an 18 year old's ever going to walk by themselves. Because like I said, you wouldn't even really find it on your own. Um, and it's also unlikely that you would just like come across it because A, it's completely off from where he was heading in the first place. And B, it's just like, so out of like, view really you kind of have to know where you're going one thing also that makes him think that maybe he was following someone who was like walking at a fast pace is why maybe like when his hat got knocked off like by you know a branch or something like if you're following someone in the dark and you lose something you don't really want to stop and try to find it because you also don't want to lose the person that you're supposed to be following right so they think that that's why he like left his hat like if it got knocked off that was also another theory that they had but also who knows like that was just kind of something that they kind of were thinking also, it could be like, I can just get it on the way back. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Once finally reaching Tallow Beach, he walks up the beach until he gets to a place known as Cozy Corner. And this is close to like where there's a famous lighthouse that's perched on these rocks. Um, and it's like a really like popular place for tourists or like locals go there as well. Um, once at the base of the rocks where the lighthouse is perched, the GPS data shows him veering off into like a clearing that's in the bush that's just behind 
the rocks where this lighthouse is. And this clearing is a place that locals know is great for beach parties. So this could be a hint as to what maybe Theo was looking for. Like maybe he met these locals at the cricket nets and followed them to this beach party that they were going to because there is always sort of these like bonfires and stuff that people have in this area. And so after he goes to this like little clearing, he returns to the beach after a few minutes and then switches off his GPS tracking. And uh, 60 Minutes Australia says that maybe he did that to save battery. Like, we don't really know why he switches it off, but he does. Um, And then he proceeds to respond to messages from friends and family that he hadn't answered for a few hours. So nothing in these text messages indicates that Theo was panicked, nervous, or suspected that he was in any danger at all. His responses are normal and consistent with the way that he always texted. And it is indicating that it was very likely him responding to these messages. Because that was also another thing I was thinking when I was first watching this. I'm like, well, how do they know that he's the one with the phone? Like maybe he dropped his phone and then someone else has his phone and is taking it along this route. But the one thing that kind of kibosh that theory was that like well he is responding to messages at this time when he's at the beach like gps tracking has him at this beach that's the same time that he's answering these texts in a very normal way so that's the only thing i that really makes him think that it couldn't have been that because otherwise i would have thought like well it could have been anyone who just got a hold of his phone um i was just gonna say could it be anybody who got a hold of his phone but yeah, because like the first like half of the episode I was watching, I was like, I feel like the, he. How do they know that it's, it's actually him who has his phone this whole time? But that obviously makes it clear that it was. But um, also, why would some random person be like, "Oh, I'm going to answer all these text messages"? Like that doesn't seem, you know, like randomly out of the blue. And also, yeah, like we've seen this before. You can kind of tell when the person isn't the person that it should be answering the texts, right? Like people have a certain way of texting and stuff. So yeah. Yeah, and so, like, it's very pretty much confirmed or they highly suspect that it actually was him who was answering the messages because just, yeah, like, the way that he was texting was very adorable. Nothing seemed off. And then also, too, his phone data shows that he goes onto YouTube and watches clips from one of his favorite comedy series back in Belgium. And which also proves that it was probably him as well because a random person who stole his phone isn't going to happen to look up the same show that he's also a really big fan of and watch like random clips of it. It seems really random. As noted by investigators, like this kind of activity on his phone is indicative of someone who's not really in any danger at all or doesn't perceive themselves to be in any danger at least. It's also indicative of someone who maybe is killing some time while waiting for something. Like if he was at a party, if he was socializing, he wouldn't be watching YouTube clips of his favorite show randomly. So maybe this indicates that Maybe he was waiting for someone or something and was just watching YouTube and answering these old texts to kill time or something like that. Because that is good weird. Like if he went to the, go to this beach party, like he'd be at the party socializing. He wouldn't be watching YouTube clips. So that's also kind of weird. But he could be showing somebody else like, oh, look at this funny show. Or maybe they started talking about it and this other person also knows the show and they're like watching these clips together. I don't know. That mm-hmm. seems possible. Yeah, that's true, too. You never know, I guess, what people do. But I was just thinking, like, if it's a bonfire and there's, like, people drinking, like, you wouldn't really think. I mean, I'm sure it's happened before. So it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, it seems more likely, though, that you're at a party, you're not going to be watching YouTube clips on your own. <laughs> yeah, you go down this dark path in order to go to this party, and then you get there and you start watching YouTube clips. <laughs> like, that doesn't seem, <laughs> yeah. that seems kind of weird. At 1.02 a.m., Theo sends his final text message via WhatsApp to his friend Loic Spice, who recalls their text conversation as relaxed and normal. Nothing seemed odd or alarming at all about any of the messages he received that night. His last message was, quote, yep, very much so, which was in response to Loic saying, 
quote, it's surfer's paradise, no? So it was just like very casual conversation. Theo's last known movements, tracked by GPS before it was turned off, have him sitting on a large rock on the beach. And then this is when his trail goes absolutely cold. No more texts, no more calls, no GPS tracking, and no further movements with his phone. So the working police theory at this at the time was that shortly after this, he attempted to climb a large embankment that would lead him up to higher ground and then put him back on the route back to the hostel. During the 60 Minutes Australia episode, so the journalist who's or the host of the show and an investigator, so they actually take these routes that Theo traveled both in daylight and in the dark. So they're kind of walking the same trail, just kind of trying to make sense of what happened. And when they're standing near that large rock where GPS tracking stops, they open up Google Maps and they kind of just try to see which direction that it would direct them to go if you were to head back to the hostel. So they stand in like by the rock and then they open up Google Maps and like put in the hostel's location. And the Google Maps directs them to walk in the opposite way of the large embankment. So they kind of think that there would really be no reason why he would walk up that embankment if going back to the hostel was his intention. Like that was the complete opposite way. Plus he would have needed his phone to follow the Google map directions and his phone stops here and it never moves from that position. So it's not like he had his phone and was following directions on it from there. So like I said, during the police investigation, like it is kind of believed that he attempted to climb the embankment and then accidentally fell down onto some rocks, which would have incapacitated him. And then he was swept out to sea. But Theo's family and former detective Gary Jubilin and Gary Jubilin is the one who's with this 60 Minutes journalist and is walking the trails and stuff. He's adamant that someone was with him at some point along this route and may know more than they're letting on. No one has ever come forward to say that they were with Theo that night or that they saw him after he left Cheeky Monkeys. So looking at his bank records, his last transactions were from Cheeky Monkeys Bar the night that Theo disappeared. So they know that that was kind of the last place he went. He didn't spend any money or use his bank accounts at any point after that. Another detective that's heading the investigation back in Belgium agrees with Theo's family that there are more people involved and that he wasn't alone on the beach that night. However, Australian authorities have dismissed the disappearance as merely an accident, coming to the conclusion that he died trying to climb the embankment and felt his death. 60 Minutes Australia explains that the Australian police came to their conclusions based on cellular phone pings rather than the GPS data, which is far more accurate. So instead, they used the cell phone towers that Theo's phone was pinging off of to determine the final location of his phone, saying that the phone never made it to the top of the embankment, and therefore Theo didn't either. So it's a little bit confusing the way that they kind of explain it in the 60 Minutes Australia episode, but my understanding is that this is because the phone was pinged on a tower that was closer to the bottom of the embankment and not picked up on a tower that it should have been pinged on if it were at the top of the embankment. So because it wasn't pinged off that tower that was closer to the top, they say that the phone did not reach the top. However, 60 Minutes Australia says that the cell- cellular pings can be inaccurate based on signal and asp- atmospheric conditions and might have a margin of error of about 78 meters. So we don't know if Theo was separated from his phone or not. Like maybe he dropped it on his way up the embankment, but he himself made it to the top and then something happened at some point after that. Um, so we don't really know for sure. But an interesting thing to note is that Theo's phone continued to ping on nearby towers for nearly 12 hours after his last known movements. So 
his phone was pinging off these nearby towers up until after 1 p.m. on the afternoon of June 1st. So this suggests that if Theo did fall into the water as he was trying to climb the embankment just after 1 a.m., that his phone didn't go with him because it would have been destroyed instantly if it fell into the water. So it wouldn't have been pinging for 12 hours after. His phone has never been recovered despite extensive searches of the area by police. Therefore, we have no idea what happened after his GPS tracking is turned off just after 1 a.m., whether he climbed up the embankment and died during this attempt or whether foul play took place. So do you guys have any thoughts so far about any of that? Like, I'm just don't know why he would climb up an embankment in the middle of the night and dark. The only reason why I could think of that is he was trying to get away from somebody and trying to climb up to get like away from something. But I know that seems really odd to me. I don't know. Yeah, like why would he just go back to that path from before? But I guess, I don't know, if you're drinking or maybe on drugs, you think differently and you're thinking, oh, this would be fun. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And like I said, because like he was texting people and he was watching clips. Like, so nothing that suggests from his phone activity that he was in any danger or that his he thought he was in any danger. Like if he was running away from something, like he was just texting his friends and everything was normal in the text. So unless something escalated very quickly after that. Um, So that's why it's kind of weird that like there's no signs from any of his texting that like anything's off. So maybe he was just like really drunk or on drugs or something and thought walking up the embankment would be a good idea. But it was like a really steep embankment and it's in the dark. So I can't imagine anyone kind of thinking that, but also who really knows. But I mean, couldn't he have like tried to climb up that embankment and then like they said, fallen, hit the rocks and then the water swept him out. Somebody found his phone and decided they were going to keep it for themselves. Completely separate, like didn't know this happened to him, right? Like. It could be two separate situations. But the phone location has never moved again. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. And his phone was never found, which is weird. Like, they never found it in that area, but it's also never been moved, which is weird. Okay, yeah. Well, I was thinking, because you were saying it was pinging, right? It was pinging the same spot all night. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, like the towers that were close by, like it was pinging in that same location for 12 hours after. So, like, he turned his GPS tracking off shortly after 1 a.m. And then, like, his trail goes cold pretty much. Like, he's not texting anyone. The GPS doesn't show him because it's turned off. So, it doesn't show him going anywhere. But it is pinging off some of the towers for 12 hours after that. So, up until 1 p.m. the next afternoon, it's still pinging off those towers. But, like, those same ones that it would have been pinging off anyways. So, it's like it was still in that same location. Okay, right. So, he could have lost his phone, maybe dropped it in the dark couldn't find it he went off somewhere else Mm -hmm. yeah and then his phone died yeah yeah and like it eventually died because i remember you said like you thought maybe like his phone died and that's why like he he searched google maps and his phone died but his phone wasn't going to be dying because i mean it was still working for 12 hours after that so yeah maybe he just dropped his phone like maybe he was climbing the embankment dropped his phone and it fell down to the bottom and then like he didn't go back for it i feel like he would but I don't know. Just seems very odd to me. Maybe though. Maybe it was like in his pocket. He was climbing up. It fell out. He didn't know. Got to the top. Had no clue where his phone was. Yeah, that's true too. That's true. It's like fuck. You get to the top and then you realize your phone is like at the bottom. It's like well, <laughs> yeah, do it I want to venture down. Yeah, there? it could be anywhere from like the beach to here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it's like dark, and you're like, well, I made it up here. Do I really want to climb back down? Like, no, you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> But then it still doesn't really explain, like, what happened if he made it to the top. Then, like, where did he go? Like, what happened? 
after that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, just because you lost your phone doesn't mean you go you disappear <laughs> forever. <laughs> so they actually interview someone in the 60 Minutes Australia episode as well. And she's, you know, kind of an expert in water currents. So they actually look up the currents from that night. And they show that there was a current that was flowing in two separate directions to the north and the south. So due to these conditions... They say that Theo's body could easily be swept out to sea that night and therefore will likely never be found. So either it would get, you know, it would get sucked up into the current and then it would either go north or south because there was like these two currents at the same time. An inquest into his disappearance was launched and the results of which were revealed just last month. So in October of 2022, coroner Teresa O'Sullivan declared that Theo Hayes was officially dead, but stated insufficient evidence to say exactly how he died, whether it was an accident or a result of foul play. O'Sullivan also criticized the systemic issues that were at play, which hindered the progress of the initial investigation. So, for example, she says that the police failed to conduct a thorough investigation of Theo's phone data because they feared that it would violate the privacy laws. So I get from that statement that it was like the police didn't check his phone because they feared it would be violating privacy laws versus like whether it actually would have been or not. O'Sullivan urges for a change in telecommunication policies that would require phone and tech companies like Google to provide critical information much quicker. Also, she criticized the hostel for failing to report Theo missing as he hadn't arrived back at the hostel for days and failed to check out. As per their policy, they wait three days post-checkout date before searching his belongings or reporting someone missing. So changes have been made to wake up hostels policies because of this case, but the coroner calls for a widespread change to all hostels policies that would require them to file missing persons reports sooner. That also seems weird to me that the hostel will just wait three days. Like, oh, he was supposed to check out three days ago, but he hasn't been back, but we're going to wait three days before we report him missing, which is kind of weird. You've been to hostels before. Like, do you know what their actual policies are or do you know? No, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, that it never happened to me, so I don't know. Like, I... But it just seemed kind of weird. But I mean, you can kind of like I've stayed in hostels and you get that vibe. It's like everyone is very kind of like a hotel. You know, everyone's very independent on their own. No one's really keeping mm-hmm. tabs on who's coming and going. Like, so yeah. But I think it, com- it comes down to money, right? Like, if you're supposed to check out and pay and you don't pay, then they scoop up your stuff and get the room to somebody else that is paying. You know what I mean? Like, three days of not paying your bill, it seems like a lot. But maybe hostels, because it's very, like, more transient, sort of. People are just kind of doing their own thing that they would wait. I don't know. It does seem strange, though. Well, I feel like it's a little bit different of a setup. Like, it's not like a hotel where it's like you pre-book it for a certain amount of dates, and then you go and you pay, and then you stay and then check out. It's kind of like a hostel. Like, you can extend it a little bit more. You can, like, do one day at a time. You can go and, like, pay for a few days. So it is a little bit more of, like, kind of laid back in that way. So Yeah, but don't you got to tell them? You can't just stay there for a week and be like, yeah, I'm here for a week. Yeah. Like, you have to yeah. be like, I'm going to be here for a week or extend it. It has to be before it happens, yeah. right? You can't just stay there for a month and then be like, I'm going to be here for a month. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe you can, though. I don't know. Maybe some hostels are pretty laid back. I mean, I haven't been to a ton. I've been to some, and, like, they seem pretty laid. I feel like a month is excessive, but, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess yeah, you do still have check-in and check-out dates because people are still coming and going and need the room. So they kind of need to know a little bit of, like, when people are going to be coming and going. Right. Because, like, maybe some hostels, though, you don't plan in advance. It's like you just show up. If there's a room available, you can get it. If not, you have to move on. And maybe that was the case with this one where it's like, no, his stuff's still there. He's still there. So you can't check in kind of thing. I don't know. 
Yeah, because like, yeah, like I said, all of his belongings were there. So it's like, and like I said, there's so many people coming and going. They're not really paying attention or keeping tabs. So it's like they could have been like, oh, well, this room is, this bed is still taken. All this stuff is here. And also too, like, I'm just going to be totally fair. Like the hostels that I stayed at, like half the workers that were there were also fellow travelers who didn't really give a shit <laughs> to be honest like they weren't really on top of their game either like they were like a lot of people who were like traveling and get a job at a hostel for a few months and then move on so i feel like like literally a lot of them were like that so it's like they're not really gonna be too on top of it i feel but i mean that was just my the hostel <laughs> yeah. i stayed at honestly i've never stayed at a hostel but i feel like the vibe is very much like a place dump your stuff you're gonna go party for a couple days come back it's like a place to put your stuff almost. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and obviously there's like a lot of different types of hostels, but like the ones I've stayed at, like, well, I mean, a lot of, some of them were party, party hostels where they were going out every night. And then, but yeah, like the staff was like partying with all of the guests said it was like, and I was like, is there anyone at the front desk right now? Like, it seems like there's no one at the front desk. Like, I don't know. It just seemed very like laid back and like, I don't know, chill. So I could definitely see that like, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for it to go three days and someone realizes, like, oh, this person hasn't been here. Because also there's so many different sh- staff. Like, I would come in that night, see the staff, and then come back in the morning. There'd be a completely new staff there. I, there was like, I feel like there was, like, 50 people who worked, or, like, 100 people who worked there. They were just, like, rotating all the time. It's never the same staff either, I feel. Or sometimes it was. Like, sometimes it'd be, I don't know. It's, like, very, like, very, I don't know, sporadic, I feel. So it's, like, the staff might not be seeing or like, putting two and two together, right? Yeah, that's true. And they might just see that there's stuff in the room, but they don't necessarily know that it's the same stuff that has been there since a couple of days ago, right? There's just stuff there. No, you can't go in there kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think like maybe, like maybe I'm painting my, the hostel I stay in a very bad light. I feel like, yeah, they are responsible. They're on top of things, but also too, it is very like, kind of chill too. So I don't know. But basically my point is, is that like, I don't feel like it's, it's not like a super out of unrealistic to think that you could go three days before someone realizes like oh this person hasn't been here for three days so yeah like i said the the coroner has officially declared him dead but has stated that there is no sufficient evidence to prove how he died whether it was an accident if it was foul play they still don't know and they can't conclude just there's inconclusive evidence either way um, there's currently a $500,000 reward for anyone with information about what happened to Theo. The New Zealand Herald reports that this hefty reward has brought forward new leads, which are currently being investigated. And his family has released a statement about their theories, and they say, quote, A key question we are seeking to address is whether he was with someone on the night of May 31st, 2019, which we strongly believe to be the case, considering the circumstances. Walking into the bushland and Climbing up the grassy side of a Cape Byron cliff alone at night is something we believe Theo would never have done unless he was with someone at the time, end quote. And the New Zealand Herald reports that Theo had no, quote, known troubles legally, personally, or financially, and he was also not believed to be a reckless or aggressive or a heavy drinker and regularly stayed in contact with his family, end quote. So therefore, something like suicide is not believed to be what happened that night either because one of the theories also too was like maybe he jumped off the cliff maybe he committed suicide but they don't believe that there's any evidence to suggest that at all and like i said he didn't really have any troubles like legal troubles personal troubles or financial troubles so as for the other theories misadventure or foul play we may never know theo's mother gave a tearful interview to 60 minutes australia where she states that quote I think that we will never know what happened to Theo, but I hope our situation, our story is helpful to others, end quote. And in terms of the agony of not knowing what happened, she says, quote, 
If you want to go on living, there is a time when you need to stop. There will always be sadness until the very end of our life, but it is healthy to stop searching. Theo is unhappy when I'm feeling sad. I also feel Theo is giving me strength, end quote. So that's kind of where the investigation stands right now. So as of now, he's still a missing person, even though he's been declared dead. But there is no conclusive evidence to suggest what happened to him that night. So what would you guys say is the theory that you think? Do you think he was with someone that night? Do you think someone had, you know, evil intentions, like they led him to this place? Or do you think maybe he was with someone and then an accident happened and then they covered it up? Or or maybe he was with people and then separated from them and then something happened after that? Like, there's so many possible scenarios and we just don't know one way or the other. Like, so what do you guys think? I think he just fell down the embankment and got swept away in the ocean. I don't feel like nothing out of this whole case screams suspicious to me except for like but why would he walk that route like you're not gonna go that way unless you're with someone i feel like and you're not even gonna find that route like they say like they show it it's like very it's like the the trail to get there is like between two houses like it's very inconspicuous like no person is gonna just walk down that trail it was like a, a significant like a few kilometers through this bush like i don't feel like you're not gonna do that by yourself like i don't know why you ever would to me, it feels like he definitely maybe was with someone and there was a party at the beach or he was meeting someone to get something. But it is hard to say whether that person killed him or whether an accident happened and he did fall into the water. But if, if it was an accident, why wouldn't anyone report it or like say something that, yeah, he fell, hit his head and then the water took him away? It seems like because nobody said anything that it makes it feel like somebody did something. Like it feels like someone did something and they don't want to say anything. Because if it was an accident, somebody would say something, right? Or go to the police right away. Unless they were like afraid of like maybe they gave him drugs or something and then something happened, he overdosed, and then they were afraid of like getting in trouble themselves or something. So they were afraid to go to the police, so they just covered it up which also seems like a stretch i don't know but also too they were thinking maybe he bought drugs off people at the cricket nets and then either followed them or one of them and they said oh maybe oh there's a party at the beach like this place do you want to come and then he followed them there and then maybe like he got there and he was like okay this isn't really my vibe like these people are kind of sketchy or something and then decided to like walk home from there but then maybe he was disoriented and couldn't find his way back like that route that he came so he's like i'm not gonna walk back that route because it's kind of confusing and i'll never get back so i'm just gonna like walk it down the beach maybe and then he decided to go up the embankment which seems weird because maybe he thought like oh if i get back up to higher ground i could just keep walking that way and that'll be the hostel so like maybe that's a scenario but yeah but why go up the embankment that's so weird if he knows there's a path to the beach why not just go back to the path but again maybe because it was like so, it's so dark and it's like a very like he's not going to remember the route back to the path do you think he would i mean he probably would never get there by himself initially so i don't think he would get back by himself either yeah i guess it depends just if he's on drugs or super drunk yeah but to, to get to get to where he is i feel like he definitely was with somebody but for his phone to never be found but pinged for like 12 hours afterwards seems really weird to me too because normally if someone's gonna like do foul play or do something somebody they usually take their phone right but maybe but yeah that's true but maybe like he lost yeah, I don't know. That is a good point. Because the phone was still pinging off the same location for 12 hours. Yeah, but maybe he fell, his phone stopped up 
farther up the cliff. He rolled down farther. Then the waves took him away. The tide comes in, takes his phone later. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a stretch, but it could happen. Yeah, like I think like it's it's not far-fetched to think like, yeah, like, he dropped his phone at some point. It's like dark also. And he doesn't have a flashlight or anything. Like his phone would be his flashlight, like the flashlight app. If you lose your phone, you're going to have a, a light to find it. But doesn't so, it, like you said, it had a GPS on it, so they never did locate it afterwards? Like, Well, he turned off GPS tracking. Oh, weird. Like when he got to the beach, like as I said, he, he got to the beach, he got to that rock, and then he turned off GPS tracking, which in 60, the 60 Minutes episode, they say maybe to save battery. But I mean, it was still working his phone for 12 hours after that. So I don't know how low the battery was, but he turned it off for some reason, maybe to save data or something. I don't know. And then texted his friends on the rock while he was on the rock. Like those texts that were he was sending were there and then turned off his phone, GPS tracking. And then that was the last. So I don't know. Yeah. For him to be thinking enough to be like, oh, I should turn off my GPS tracking because it's eating up my data. Like, you're not super drunk at that point, right? Like, you're thinking clearly and you're like, I got to turn this off so my battery doesn't die. Someone who's super drunk and like, you know, on drugs isn't going to be thinking about that, I wouldn't think. But I don't know. It's super hard to say. And then I was like, well, maybe it was someone else, like, who had, if there was foul play, someone else turned off the GPS tracking. But also then I'm like, no, because then he texted his friends right after that. Like, and all from all of his texts and everything, like, not everything is normal. He's texting normally. And also, the police are saying in his text, they don't think he was drunk either because he's texting coherently. Like, he's using proper grammar, punctuation. Like, he's not, like, super out of his mind because all of his texts are are looking normal. Like, you know, I feel like if someone's really drunk, you can, like, kind of tell maybe they're texting a little bit off. But it wasn't. It almost kind of makes me think that he was fine and then maybe he got some drugs at the beach from somebody and then that's when things went downhill from there after he was like texting everybody kind of but if if someone if somebody did foul play and they like have his phone like i like my first instinct would be like chuck this into the water so that it doesn't work anymore right like i don't know yeah exactly and also and i was in my mind, I guess when I was like watching the episode and they were talking about this and all that stuff, I was thinking like the GPS tracking got turned off, like, and then something happened to him, but we don't know that for sure. Like he could have turned that off and then maybe nothing happened to him for like six hours later. Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause like you said, yeah, maybe he did text his friends and all that, then like tried some drugs. And then it was like a few hours later when something happened. Cause I was just in my mind, always jumping to like, okay, the tracking got turned off. He texted his friends and then something happened, but there could have been like many hours in between that, that we don't know. Yeah. That's true. He could have lost his phone. And then discontinued on trying to get back to the hostel and something could have happened on the way there. Like the beach and that path could have nothing to do with it. It just happened to be where he was. But then he got out of that situation and it was hours later. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like he could have like, yeah, lost his phone. Like maybe he did climb up the embankment, lost his phone, got to the top of the embankment and started walking back. And then something else happened to him. That's completely separate from all of this. But it's just because his phone was last there that everyone thinks like, okay, that was where something must have happened but we don't know that for sure even like we just know that that was the last location of his phone but we don't know that that was the last location of him yeah that's true that's super weird yeah and like we have no and there was never any like like said there's no other cctv footage of any other place that ever caught images of him after he left the bar so really all we have is that like he left the bar and then took this route to the beach and then his phone was stopped at the beach so whether he lost it or something so uh 
it's very, very strange and very mysterious. I don't really know what I think. I think like the easy conclusion to come to is that he probably just fell. Like something, you know, he just was climbing up the embankment, which seems weird. Like if he's not super drunk or high, why would you do that? Like to me, anyone in their rational mind is not going to think of that, especially at nighttime by yourself. Like to me, that just seems like un- not a possibility. It's but. true. But I mean, he, he he sounds like an adventurous person to be on this trip for seven months. Like that's somebody who wants an adventure, right? So I don't know. Maybe he did want to climb up this embankment just because, right? Like, I don't know. It's also dark and like the uh, like the journalist and the police when they go and like they walk these routes on, at daytime and nighttime and like they're there at night and they say like it looks like a huge embankment. Like it looks really like kind of like a a mountain almost like you can just see kind of like the outline of it and they said that like it just seems weird that somebody would like see that and be like oh i'm gonna climb that like it just seems really odd but yeah maybe he just could not find the path again and just was like this is a way out so i'm gonna climb up this i don't know yeah and also too like you have to remind like he is also 18 which is like still super young right like i feel like you know if you're a little bit older than that you may have more sort of like common sense about you to say like okay that's not a good idea but maybe when you're an 18 year old and you're like adventurous you're like oh i can conquer this no problem so that is also a possibility yeah that's true yeah so it's still very odd but like i said um the five hundred thousand dollar reward has led to some new leads or some new tips so police are currently investigating that so we might know but i mean if his body got washed out to sea then obviously we'll never ever find it it's also weird that they never found his phone after like i would have to think his phone must have got swept into the ocean like how would they never found it the police have and volunteers have searched that area extensively and never found his phone so it has to be swept out to sea right like that's the only possible unless somebody took it for some reason and then never turned it back on which seems weird like why would you do that but the fact that the they've had leads and tips come in it it definitely feels like somebody was with him, right? Because, like, why would you come forward with random information if you didn't actually know anything, right? So somebody must have been with him. So he didn't travel there by himself. I mean, also, too, you never know. $500,000. People say all sorts of crazy things for money. <laughs> so people might just be saying completely bogus things. I guess. If it leads like, enough for them to be investigating, it makes me feel like, yes, he was with people, at least one person that kind of knows maybe a little bit what happened. But I don't know. Yeah, like maybe it is going to be, maybe the tips are just people who are coming forward and saying like, oh yeah, I saw him that night. He was at the beach party that I was at. Maybe not someone who did anything to him, but just someone is like, oh yeah, he was at this beach party, which would confirm like, okay, he made it. I mean, we know he made it to the beach though with his phone. So we know he was there, but I don't know what that information, I guess, if someone said he was at the beach party, that wouldn't really help much because they already knew he was there. But maybe they didn't know other people were there. Like, they don't know if there was a party that night or something, right? So maybe that would confirm that there were other people who saw him or something. I mean, every tip can lead to something. You never really know. But it's just very um, very odd and mysterious. And I don't know if we'll ever, ever know. But I'm hoping that we can get some sort of closure. But like I said, if his body was washed out to sea, we'll never, they'll never find it. So in that way, they'll never know. But yeah, yeah, it's super weird. It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, it re- it is. It's super weird. And like, and the good thing for his, like, you know, his, his it was his mother that like cracked or got into his phone and like found that GPS data. So like, and the GPS data is the only thing that we really have to go on, right? Obviously, and it is 
very extensive. Like we know the exact route. Like I feel like that's a great thing about technology these days too, right? Like in cases like this, you can trace exact steps of everyone. So they know the exact route that he went, which kind of helps paint, but it doesn't really help. I mean, it, it, it helps paint a picture of what happened because you know he was there like versus like, oh, he just left the bar and then was never seen again. So you know like where he was, but it still leads to more questions and answers. So it's still frustrating. Even as many answers as it comes up with, it also poses way more questions. Yeah, that's true. It's either the trail goes cold after the bar or the trail goes cold at the beach. Like it still doesn't really give us answers. Which I feel like, I mean, it's still probably the better scenario that it went cold at the beach because at least they have something to kind of go on right like okay like they know he went this route on this beach it gives like plausible theories of like oh maybe he climbed the embankment or all this versus like if he was just went cold at the bar like who knows yeah that's true yeah so i mean it's still a little bit better but not any more clear i guess yeah so that's the case of theo hayes thank you so much for listening to this episode of crime family and remember if you like the show and you're a fan and you want to stay connected with us definitely join us on patreon uh, patreon.com slash crime family podcast you can also check out our merch store on Redbubble. we'll put the link in the show notes to that and you can also follow us on all the social medias so on instagram at crime family podcast we're on twitter at crime family pod one and facebook is crime family podcast send us your case suggestions send us an email at crimefamilypodcast at gmail.com we love to hear your suggestions or your tips or anything you'd like to let us know um, definitely send us an email and check out our website at crimefamilypodcast.ca and yeah thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week for a whole new case so thanks bye bye bye